0: Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Episode 72 will be another episode about grief, but before I get into grief, I'm going to do some housekeeping A few podcasts ago, I did one about finding a therapist and self-care, and I just recently listened to it for myself, because I usually will go back and listen to them eventually. And I realized that I committed to you guys to participate in some sort of self-care, but as I was thinking about it, I also realized that I was neglecting some self-care that I already do. So... Self-care being the idea that whatever it is you're doing is feeding your soul, increasing your creativity, increasing your connection to people, to your God, to higher power, decreasing your stress, and really filling you up like you are a cup that needs to be full. And to that end, My hiking, which I do not do as frequently as I used to, is definitely self-care. The reason I was not counting it is because it has become such an integral part of my life that it is expected that I do it. And occasionally it is something I have to force myself to do which sounds a little bit contradictory when it comes to self care. But the maxim that my husband and I live by is that it may sometimes be hard to go. And we may have to encourage one another. But we never, ever regret going. It is always worth it in the end. And so... I may not do a lot of stuff for self-care, but I do that pretty regularly, and I wanted to acknowledge that because it seemed unfair to myself and, frankly, to my husband, who I go with, to not count that as something that fills me, brings me joy, decreases my stress, and increases my connection with him, nature, and, frankly, my family. So that's the first bit of housekeeping. Second bit of housekeeping is about the reference in last week's podcast to how anger makes you stupid. So that was Lindsay who said that because we were talking about grief and reactions to grief and I got a response from someone who had us or who has had a different experience with anger. And this person indicated that anger often helps them focus or fine tune themselves, or it kind of acts as a laser point to help clarify arguments or to allow this person to really get their brain wrapped around their specific points, if that makes sense. And while I do believe that is something that can happen with anger, the way Lindsay was referring to it and the way I was agreeing with her is that our responses to other people about contentious or unpleasant issues or conversations The anger in those instances and the reaction because your anger tends to decrease your prefrontal cortex activity and increase your amygdala and your hindbrain activity. And you don't think as well. You have a hard time coming up with words. Your arguments are not that clear or focused. And it is generally not a good time to be trying to have an important conversation. So that's what she was referring to. So those are a couple of housekeeping issues that I wanted to talk about. And this week, we're going to get a little bit more into grief. I'm going to start reminding everybody of the idea that most of what we go through most of the difficult things that we go through in life are somehow related to grief or trauma. And I explained that grief is the disruption of what is normal and the conflicting feelings around those patterns being disrupted or taken away. And trauma is either big trauma, which is can include car accidents, abuse, natural disasters, And little t trauma can include anything that is a disruption to healthy development. It can be bullying, it can be parental neglect, it can be sibling rivalry, it can be a bad year in elementary school, it can be a long-term sickness that keeps you disconnected from people. I don't mean COVID, I just meant as a child, you may have been chronically ill or something. So anything that disrupts normal development is little t trauma. And so if you think about grief as in unmet expectations, hopes and dreams for family life or job experiences that are not met, all of these are grief experiences. Experiences. And so that's just the background for this podcast and the topic of grief. This is not to say that life is not otherwise manageable, pleasant, or doable. It's just that a lot of what we experience is rooted in kind of these grief and trauma narratives. Okay. Last week, Lindsay and I went over some of the symptoms that can show up in grievers and then some of the ways we have been taught to deal with grief. In doing that, I skipped over a little bit in the book. I'm only in like chapter two or three or something like that. I didn't skip that far, but I'm going to just probably do important snippets that I want everybody to understand about grief instead of a continuous narrative. So the first thing that I think is important to talk about, and it is talked about in this book, is that the mistaken idea of never being able to get over a grief experience, usually a loss. And so for this example, or a death, For this example, I'm going to use the death of a child because in our effort to be helpful or to be supportive or to say words that might make someone feel better, there's this idea that you'll just never get over the loss of a child. And that's not necessarily true you might be able to get off over the loss, which is different than never forgetting the child. So there comes a point in the grief recovery where you can actually overcome the loss while still remembering fondly the memories that you had with your loved one, whether that is a child or a parent or a sibling. And so you can get over the death of someone and you never forget that person. If you are stuck in the idea that you will never get over the death of a child or the death of a parent, then you are stuck with a lifelong broken heart And you don't feel like there's any recovery from that at all. And it limits your ability to spend time in the memories, fond, pleasant memories that you had associated with this particular relationship. An example of this would be if you bought into the notion that you will never get over the loss of your deceased child, then anniversaries, holidays, birthdays, all of those special moments in the year that you had when that deceased person was alive are going to bring up many, many, many thoughts and feelings of pain and heartache, and sorrow. And you are going to think that you are not over the loss because you are feeling these things. And you are going to think that you are permanently stuck with this broken heart. Instead of that being the way you think about it, It would be useful to think about the fond memories, the pleasant times, and the things that you enjoyed about this person. And when you are having those pleasant thoughts, in all likelihood, you don't feel like you have a broken heart. You don't feel like you are still painfully grieving this loss. And so instead of staying in this place where you think you are permanently broken or you will be permanently grieving This loss, you can reframe those experiences and say something like, when I am reminded of the difficulty of losing this person, my heart feels broken, or I am incredibly sad. And then when you can remember the good things, you feel happy and you are pleased to share these memories. I think I mixed up my subject verb and my pronouns, but the idea is to reframe into a more positive experience, remembering and engaging in memories of the deceased. And then you can understand that not forgetting. Is not the same as still grieving. And this will help complete the loss of a loved one. This is especially true if it is a tragic loss, chronic illness, terminal, car accident, suicide, or some other really traumatic or horrific experience of death. Starting in chapter three of the book, it begins to talk about how ill-prepared we are as society to deal with loss. They talk a little bit, they, the authors, John James and Russell Friedman, talk about how we are taught and conditioned to acquire things. We want to acquire love, possessions, things, grades, good looks, and we are never taught how to deal with loss. You will lose your good looks. Your grades will not matter. The things that you have will turn to dust, so to speak, and we do not know how to... We have no practice with loss, and so... When we are experiencing loss and when we are experiencing it around other people, we seek for support and solace from people around us. And if it's a smaller loss, it may require nothing more than the ability to talk to somebody. If it's a bigger loss, we may need more support or more comfort. And in all likelihood, the people you are seeking comfort for were never instructed or taught and do not understand what to say. And so let's assume for a minute that you are grieving the loss of a grandparent and you you hear someone say, I know how you feel. And whoever said it has probably lost a grandparent or someone else. And so intellectually, in their mind, they believe they know how you feel. But in the research, it shows that most people who hear that are not soothed or comforted by that particular comment. Although everybody understands that it's well-intended, it does not produce any kind of relief from the grief. And the reason for that is because all relationships are unique. And if someone is grieving the death of a grandparent, it does not mean it is the same kind of grief that you experienced when you had that particular loss. So no one knows how another person feels. And so when they're comparing losses, what they're comparing is an intellectual fact. They also lost a grandparent. Intellectually, they can state that they also had that experience. But the relationship between the person and the deceased is not the same in either case. And so it doesn't take into account the uniqueness of the relationship when someone says, I know how you feel. So it is what people say, but it is an unimportant intellectual statement of fact and should not be said to anyone. If you had a really wonderful relationship with your grandmother and you saw her regularly and you were able to visit and communicate and be near her and have all of the advantages of having a positive relationship with her, then that death will mean something different than if the person who says they know how you feel had a negative relationship They were estranged for decades, barely got back in touch with them, weren't around when they were sick, and didn't even show up to the funeral. Intellectually, you both had a grandparent die. Emotionally, those relationships could not be more different. And so I know how you feel means nothing. And when you are trying to recover from grief, it means you want to discover and complete what was unfinished, if anything, in your unique relationship. And so the person who's not so positive relationship with his or her grandparent, they won't be off, they won't be able to offer much. To you because your experience was entirely different. And a majority of well meaning people very rarely have successful grief recovery experiences to share. And so instead of encouraging us to complete or recover from our grief experience, we are expected to act like we have recovered. The next topic is kind of a big one because it's about feelings. And in terms of grief, this is particularly toxic and undermines the ability to grieve completely and therefore recover or complete. For the most part, we are a society that dislikes unpleasant feelings. We don't like sadness. We don't like crying. We don't like to see it in other people, and we don't like to feel it in ourselves. And so we do a lot of avoiding and a lot of pushing and a lot of speaking in order to make sure we don't have to be around difficult feelings. It starts with benign comments like, big girls and big boys don't cry. Or the proverbial, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Or playground shenanigans, which include cry baby, cry baby, or any of the updated versions of what kids say to each other when they're crying. And then we hear things like, get a hold of yourself, or we tell ourselves that we can't fall apart, or we say things like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which I have said repeatedly in previous podcasts is not a good mental health strategy. So as a society, we are uncomfortable with unpleasant or negative emotions. And when confronted by displays of them, we feel even worse. And so we usually keep them to ourselves. So let's assume that every once in a while, or you're feeling particularly in need, and you reach out to someone and want to tell somebody about an important emotional event, or how you are feeling, and you might call someone, and you begin to talk about how you're feeling or what your experience has been, and as soon as you take a breath, this good, well-meaning friend of yours changes the subject. This happens in my house a lot. There are some There are some people in my house who do not like conversation or display of negative emotion, whether it is from the smallest of us to the biggest of us. And as often as not, it is met with a subject change or a way to move the person out of feeling these negative emotions. And that is not always useful. And so if you are dealing with someone who is grieving, and remember, grief can be almost anything. So when you have a friend reach out to you to talk about the loss of a job or an unmet expectation or the difficulty watching aging parents, it may not strike you as a big deal, but for them, it is grief. And so watch what you say back. So it's not useful to undermine or try and change the way they're feeling by saying something like, well, at least this, or you're lucky that... Or, I know how you feel because. Or, at least she's not in pain anymore. None of those directly address the grief. It could be, well, you wouldn't have really liked that job anyway. Or,. You weren't really ready for that at this time in your life anyhow. So it doesn't matter if it's a loss of a person or a loss of a thing. These phrases subtly shift from the expression of grief to why they shouldn't feel that way anymore. And it's really nobody's fault. This is what we've learned. And the person that you're talking to is trying their best to express their support, only they're doing it wrong. So I'm telling you this now so that you can begin to do something different. And you need to do better than this for people. And it's really just as simple as reflecting back what they're saying to you. It must be frustrating to have not gotten the job. I can't imagine how difficult it is to see what's happening to your parents. It's just validation. We've talked about this. You don't need to say anything to change the subject. You don't need to say anything to help your friend not feel their feelings. So validate instead of fear it. Another thing that we do is intellectualize. And again, this is an attempt to stay away from the emotions and turn it into intellectual grief instead of in instead of emotional grief and grief is not intellectual we can use our intellect to process some things but emotion is really where grief is so human beings are one of the only Creatures on earth who have the ability to demonstrate and communicate our emotions. I'm going to say that again. Human beings are one of the only creatures who have the ability to demonstrate and communicate emotions. That seems significant. Almost like we're supposed to but we don't see it that way. And when we rely on our intellect at the expense of our feelings, especially where grief is concerned, it turns into depression, anxiety, and other such unpleasant mental experiences. I was going to say mental dysfunction could be. It is also representative in our bodies. The stress that comes with unrecovered grief includes all kinds of issues in our bodies. And we need to be better than this. Going right along with not wanting to engage with someone who is showing negative emotion, the is the idea that they don't if you if you're not grieving they don't want people don't want to hear from the griever or someone who has suffered a loss or experienced an unmet expectation. So the example that they give in the book is something as simple as a young lady who had invited some friends to a party and consecutively, each friend called and said that they were not going to be able to come. There were other guests at the party, but these particular people were invited by her and she was pretty upset about it. And so when she went to her mom to tell her mom what happened, instinctively and to be comforting, her mom said, there's no reason to feel bad. There's a lot of other people here that you can enjoy. And the idea goes back to the don't feel bad, you can replace what you didn't get. So don't feel the way you feel because sad, painful, or negative feelings are no good and not worth acknowledging. And you need to find a more acceptable feeling, something positive. So focus on this replacement, these other people who are here. This goes back to validation. All that is necessary is to say to this young girl, you must be pretty disappointed. That feels really crappy that those people didn't come. More often than not, that is the validating statement that transitions this loss into an acceptable thing that can be put into the past. Grieving people want to be heard, not fixed. You just need to listen and validate. You don't need to repair anything. Just hear the emotion that is being communicated. After that, the person who expressed the sadness because of the loss or the unmet expectation or the grief can make their own intellectual assessment And in this case, decide to enjoy the rest of the party and didn't need to be told that that's what she was supposed to do. Another thing that's really kind of interesting about grief and loss, especially death, is how people talk about death or how we don't talk about death. We don't even say dead. Or died. We use phrases like she passed away, or he's gone to heaven, or grandpa's gone, or he expired, we've lost mother. And if you are saying things like this to a person young enough who doesn't understand the idea of death, that's pretty inconclusive. So when you have a small child who's who asked what happened to their pet and you explain that the pet has gone to sleep, that is not a good answer. And when you overlay that on the death of a person, it's even worse because then you have a child who cannot reconcile what sleep is or what gone means, or what passed away means. And so there's a lot of unresolved issues in that. What happened to my daddy? God has called him home. Again, these words that don't address the actual loss, called death in the mind of a child is incredibly confusing. So when you are talking to children about death and dying, metaphors are not particularly useful. In fact, they're pretty unhelpful. So use words to describe the reality of the situation, not metaphorical images. As a bit of a recap, I'm just going to take a minute and give an overview of what I've already talked about. The idea of grief recovery, which is processing grief from beginning to end so that it does not turn into depression, anxiety, somatic symptoms, and other such unpleasantries. Grief can be unrecognized until you feel anxious or you are triggered by memories or you do not recognize that what you have been experiencing is because you had the death of a parent, and you decided to act like you were okay, or you didn't get that job that you wanted, and you made up excuses and told yourself that you didn't want it anyway, and then when you are reaching out to people, they are telling you to not feel bad, or you can get a new job, or he's in a better place, or you were never happy in that marriage anyway. And you are told to be strong, and you're told to get over it. And none of these are useful ways to experience grief. So take a few minutes and just recognize that. And remember that If you are dealing with someone who has experienced grief or loss in any way, shape, or form, it could be trust, people, places, things, experiences, expectations. They just want to be validated and heard. They don't need to be fixed. You don't need to tell them that their life will get better or that things are going to be okay. That will bear itself out later. All you need to do in the meantime is just listen. Grief experiences are incredibly unique and individual, especially as they relate to relationships. The dynamics and variables in relationships mean that you can have an intellectual statement of loss, meaning I lost my grandparents too. My dad died last year as well, but that does not mean you are connecting in the truthfulness of what the relationship meant to the griever. So do not make intellectual statements. They are not useful. Just validate and be empathetic with someone who is expressing grief. If you know someone has endured a loss, especially something significant like a death or a divorce, feel free to reach out and say, I can't imagine how you're feeling can I bring over some dinner? I have this really great book. I'm going to drop it off to you. And it doesn't have to be a book about death, by the way. It can be anything that you think that they might like. Don't wait for them to come to you. It is okay to reach out and say, I'm so sorry about this loss. I just wanted to let you know that I was thinking about you. People want to be recognized and seen and heard and known in their grief experiences. This helps the recovery process. It tells them that they don't have to act okay because they have people who know that they're not okay. For the griever, as you experience these losses, please do not tell yourself that you don't have to feel bad because everybody else experiences these things too. I'm going to say it again. Grief is completely unique to the individual. I find myself doing this all the time. I have some things going on in my life and they're pretty big and they are grief and they are slow grief. And I find myself saying to myself all the time, oh, people deal with this. It'll be fine. It's so much worse for so-and-so. I'm not alone, I don't need to feel so bad, all kinds of stupid crap that doesn't help me and it certainly doesn't help me feel my emotions or process the experience of this loss and denial is not useful and when we're sitting around at the dinner table having conversations about lost expectations or lost opportunities and we are met with subject changes and efforts at making us feel something other than sad or frustrated or down about it, those moments are not helpful. And obviously, I'm speaking about my dinner table, but I'm assuming it happens at your dinner table as well. So, The other thing is do not intellectualize loss because it is an emotional experience. I think I said that already, but things like she's in a better place is not only intellectual, but it is also a subject change. So when you are met with someone who needs to talk about their experience do not try to regulate your own anxiety about these feelings by making them change the subject or by trying to fix them. That is not helpful either. I'm only in half of chapter three of this book. And like most books that I review on this podcast, I'm not going to go through every bit of it. I'm just going to give you a taste so that you'll go out and get it for yourself. Because I guarantee you have unresolved grief experiences. You have unresolved losses. And they lay out a process by which you can move through them that includes graphs and charts and journaling and partnering up with someone to be your grief buddy if that's something that you want to do. This is a whole program, people. And if your grief losses are particularly powerful or painful, I highly suggest you go get this book. And if you are working in therapy on these grief losses, go get the book anyway and share it with your therapist. It's very useful and it's a whole unique, interesting way of dealing with grief. The quote I'm going to end with is something you've already heard before because I'm quoting from the book. So, Friedman and James say, Grief is the most neglected and misunderstood experience, often by both the grievers and those around them. Further, the definition, grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. That is a pretty broad definition of grief. That is not to make everything in your life overwhelming and something that you need to work through, but it is an understanding that is worth being in tune with. So you can work through your own stuff that might be creating unnecessary Dysfunction, dissatisfaction, or even feelings of unsettledness. And with that, I'm going to end and have a good week. Mm-hmm.